The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast. P Nate, Elder P, Garage Mahal, special guest. We today. do have a special guest today. So can I introduce? Can we please do? Please we have do. a nickname already prepped for him. Yeah, it's Aaron Cedars of Lebanon. They. <laughs> There's a story. There I'm is not a story. Sure we'll I actually you. feel like we should tell the story because then everybody will just call him the Cedars of Lebanon or Cedars or whatever. Um, I think so he should get it tattooed on his arm. I agree. Like right on the bicep. My arms are too small. <laughs> So we have a pastoral discipleship time that we do every Wednesday. And so we were chatting about, uh, we were basically just chatting about like how, so it was, it was Air Jordan, who you guys know, who's been on the podcast before, Chris and Aaron and I. And so we were chatting about just how a lot of North American Christians have this misconcept of Jesus, right? We all think of him as the sort of like gentle, mild kind of soft-spoken guy, but there, there's this whole other side, right, where he confronts the Pharisees, he's very confrontational, he doesn't allow uh, things to go un, unchallenged, uh, he won't be duped, he won't be tricked, all that kind of stuff. And of course, there's the famous story of when he's driving the money changers out of the temple with the whips and flipping over the tables. <laughs> And so, so Aaron, Aaron, Aaron just goes, and these aren't like just Ikea made tables. These are like the cedars of Lebanon. These are, <laughs> these are big, hefty wood tables. And so like, we all just burst out into laughter and, and that becomes like an ongoing joke in our pastor's meetings. Yeah. So, so Aaron's the director of our, our congregational care at our church. Yeah. It's even funnier because he's like the guy responsible for like care and shepherding. And then <laughs> Pastoral like, care. We're flipping yeah. over tables. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Flipping over the cedars of Lebanon. That's yeah. so good. Quite funny. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, so that's Aaron. Welcome, Aaron. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be with men better than myself, so I appreciate <laughs> the honor. I paid him to say that. Yeah, um. he's not that humble for real. He'll, he'll <laughs> loosen up a little bit. Um, yeah, so we're uh, we're the rebels, and we are on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Uh, the best place for you to be listening to us right now is on the Fight Laugh Feast app, uh, kind of uncancelable. Uh, and so you can get both the American and the Canadian content on there. There's lots of good stuff on the American side that's very well known. Lots of good stuff on the Canadian side, lesser well known, but Liberty Dispatch and Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock, lots of good stuff on there. So we're part of that, and we would encourage you to either become a Fight, Laugh, Feast club member. That's one way that you can just support the entirety of the network. If you want to give back to the show in particular, just to help us with website costs and hosting costs and all that kind of stuff, it's patreon.com slash reformed rebel. That's all we have in terms of intro. Uh, Aaron's here. Like I said, like we've been spending a lot of time with Aaron and really get, uh, enjoying getting to know him as he's uh, taken on a staff position here at the church. And we wanted to have launch into a conversation, just something that I, I think has been birthed out of the last couple of years, I guess I would say. One of the things with a lot of like-minded churches that have walked through the COVID stuff and seen the, the tightness of their community 
tightened. No. Uh, see the relational connectedness, the strength. Yeah. The strength of their community kind of, it was just about to say Words strength. are wow. hard. <laughs> you know what? You know what? We had uh, church yesterday, which is, and then uh, we also had uh, the uh, annual business meeting yesterday. So I feel like I did a lot of talking. I might be worded out. So we might be relying on Chris a little oh, bit more this oh episode. We'll see what happens. But uh, anyway, in a lot of like-minded churches, one of the things that we've been seeing is as the, the communities get strengthened, we're seeing that over the last couple of years, we've seen healthcare abused. The whole pandemic that went on over the last couple of years, and I use scare quotes for that term, was really a pandemic of long-term care facilities. If you look, even in Canada, it was a, a close, a little bit over 80% of the deaths in Canada due to all COVID-related deaths um, had to do with long-term care facilities. So, and, and obviously in this, this podcast, we talk an awful lot about just the absolute failure of the public school systems. So when you start looking at education, healthcare, welfare, elderly care, what you start to see is that everything that the government has sort of taken over and is running is in shambles. <laughs> Uh, not surprisingly. And when you, when you see sort of the behemoth, the beast that the civil authorities have become swallowing up these social institutions and then running them into the ground, we start to see where there's a lot of, I would say, bureaucracy, a lot of evil, a lot of wickedness. But all of this comes back. One of the things that we say a lot on this show is that culture is the report card of the church and that it's the church's responsibility. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So when we look at that social evil, it's one thing for us to just kind of become raging libertarians or whatever um, and bashing the government and everything that they're doing. But the reality is, is that this is the church's responsibility, and we are big believers in sphere sovereignty. And so these are responsibilities that God delegated to the church that we've fumbled, that we've lost, that we've abdicated our responsibility. And these are institutions that have been taken over by the state. So that's kind of what we want to talk about and how churches can slowly begin to get these institutions back. Is that a fair intro, Chris? Absolutely. I think you hit it bang on. And I would just add, every time somebody exercises authority outside of their God-given authority, we see this happen, right? So um, how many times have we all tried to exercise gifts that we aren't blessed with, right? And it becomes a train wreck, right? So all we're simply saying is that the government, we think they have a proper place. It's, you know, to protect and and administer um, justice, but they don't. When they're, we're never called to shepherd the poor. They were never called to treat our old people, right. um, educate education, all those yeah. things that you went through. And we see what happens when we task people with a role that they weren't tasked with. Yeah. It becomes a nightmare. We often say around our church, it's easy to keep something in the bag, but once you let it out, it's it's harder to put yeah. it back in. Yeah. The challenge of this podcast and the challenge I think churches are facing now is how do we put this genie back in the jar, so to speak? Because Right now, they are in, co- in control of the healthcare completely. They're, they are in control of education almost completely. Yep. But they were never supposed to be in the first place. Christians, and I think you nailed this too, the church failed letting them have this responsibility. So how do we get it back? So how do we, as we call this podcast, how do we take it back? Yeah. Um, ever seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Of course. Great movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. We've had the Kevin Costner conversation. Yeah, um, very underrated. Very underrated. Yeah. Uh, so we're re-watching this movie as we fall asleep at night, which is more yeah. information than you need. Well, um, well, not only that, but can you explain, please? It's not the three of us falling asleep <laughs> oh, together yeah. and watching that movie, Chris. <laughs> yeah, so this please, is new to yeah. me. See, there's a Lebanon. Uh, no, so my wife and I more are elaboration asleep, is required. Obviously, yeah, yeah. watching Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, still TMI, but less too yeah, much. Yeah. yeah, like more appropriate. But he has this line where he gets up on the tree, and Kevin Costner is giving this rousing speech, and and yeah. he turns, and the camera focuses on his face, and he's like, "How do we get this back?" 
my gosh, we take it back. And I was just like, no, that's the come idea. on, Chris, you got to do the line right. He <laughs> says, they've taken our children, right? He says, they'll take, they've taken our children and our freedom. And then Kevin Costner turns around with a stern look on his face and he says, then by God, we take them back. There we go. Good. But that's, that's basically yeah. the, the, the thing here. And I would say over the last two years, in a lot of the like-minded churches, we've seen us take back Sunday in a, yeah. in a way where we've reclaimed what it means to count the cost, to be to be together, to be gathered to be together families. and worship, even even amidst you know the social pressure not to, or the po- political pressure not to, or the legal pressure not to. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like now, we that can never stop just on Sundays because that's just the start of our week, and we live the other six days to take dominion of all these other spheres. And so now we have to, by gosh, take it back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can jump into this topic in an, in a number of ways. The first thing I would say is just by way of reminder, because we've talked about this a lot on our podcast, is that when we use the phrase sphere sovereignty, I would say that that phrase was coined by Abraham Kuyper. He's borrowing language from reformers and from early church fathers, but that phrase sphere sovereignty was kind of coined by Abraham Kuyper, and really, I would say, furthered by men like Greg Bonson and R.J. Rushdoony. But the idea here is that God has all authority. He is king over everything, and everything belongs to him. And he has delegated his authority to various spheres. So he gives two fathers the authority to lead the home, to shepherd and to pastor in the home. He's given authority to elders in order to shepherd and to lead in the church. He's given authority to the civil magistrate to lead in the civil authorities and in in the political realms. And he's given to each one of us the responsibility to self-govern through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, where the law is written on our hearts to abide by his law. And so what happens is, is even in, if, if you think of even just our language, we use the, the phrase the government to describe civil authorities. And I think we're doing a disservice when we talk about the government being the government, because we're making it sound as though there's only one government, but that's not the truth. There's church government, there's family government, there's self-government, and there's civil government. So we ought to always put that caveat, civil government, civil authorities because there's no such thing as the government. But we've fallen into a very statist mindset where we think that the civil authority over any particular nation is at the head and under them is everything else. So when you think about the wickedness of our society and you hear about horror stories about CES being able to apprehend children from Christian families, when you hear about all these kinds of things, part of the wickedness there is simply that the civil authorities believe that they have authority that usurps the authority of a father. And that's just not true. God has delegated certain responsibilities to the civil authorities, and they are to uphold righteousness, they are to punish wrongdoing, they are to execute justice, and they're given the authority of the sword in order to do that. We see all that in Romans 13. And I usually use this example because I think intuitively people understand this. If Justin Trudeau passed a law that said all Royal Canadian Mounted Police, all the RCMP, Federal Police of uh, Canada, have the authority to spank disobedient children, I, I would hope that every parent, every Christian parent at the very least, would not adhere to that law and not take their children to an RCMP officer to spank their children, because intuitively we know that's not their role, that's my role. But then when it comes to things like a virus that shuts down the church, 
you don't have Christians thinking critically about the implications of allowing the civil authorities to have that sort of authority over the church. And so this is where the idea of serious sovereignty came from. But we want to push that further. We've talked about that a lot when it comes to COVID, but we haven't necessarily talked about that in terms of all of the social institutions. We don't believe that the government ought to be involved in welfare or in health care or in elderly care or in education or in any of these things. So let's just talk a little bit about that because let's not assume that everybody's with us on that. So would you say this was a fairly new concept to you, Aaron, or was this already sort of on your radar as you got to Crossroads and were thinking through this stuff? That's a really good question. I think healthcare has been destroyed by the government Yeah, uh, because there are a lot of sick people in this country and they cannot access healthcare right now, obviously because of the most recent vaccine mandates Yep, uh, where they're precluded from being on a wait list for, let's say, a transplant for an organ. Yeah. But then there's also more than that. We can't even legally have access to private healthcare. So there's no two-tier system as they would have, let's say, in other developed countries. Right. So we always think of it as free healthcare. It's not free because not only is our taxpayers being grossly misused in order to fund it, but on top of that, it's not free because we don't have the freedom to choose our health care. We, we have this right. socialist system thrust upon us. Yeah, I have had the uh, unique opportunity, as probably many of you already know, to serve as a chaplain in clinical care for long-term care yep. um, at the Dearness Home in London. It was an amazing opportunity to be there for two years during the brunt of the pandemic. But to see that, for example, the Sunday services were canceled well before they were canceled in the public. They were canceled for residents of long-term care. Yeah. Uh, so we already saw the overreach uh, well and beyond there. But healthcare in Canada is essentially a, a dragon that if you say anything against it, it comes after you. If you go to it for help, it hurts you. So there's nothing good about our Canadian healthcare system. And we pay uh, an excessive amount through taxation and we don't get what we pay for. And we run a massive deficit in this country. And on top of the deficit, we have a massive debt, which it's over, over a trillion dollars. And, and most people stop counting after 100,000, if you can count that many zeros. <laughs> yeah. But we are now at a part, a part of our economy where we can't even pay that debt down. No. Each Canadian owes like well over $40,000 individually. That includes children and elderly who are not the working force. And that does not include the deficit plus interest on top of that. And you're talking about federal, sub-sovereign debt, provincial debt, and municipal debt. So we're at a massive fiscal disadvantage. And so now to say oh, we're going to pay for healthcare, uh, it's it's not free. No, yeah. we're, we're paying for it. And our next generation is going to be, I think, destroyed fiscally trying to keep up this giant. Yeah, for sure. That, that's just one of those arguments that are just so annoying when people are like, oh, our, our healthcare is free. That's what our system's better. It'd be like, it's not free. We just pay it at a totally different time. We pay mm-hmm. it every day. There's no such thing as anything for free. Again, like not to make it like to hyper-spiritualize everything, but that's what makes the gospel so, th- because it's the only thing that's completely free. Yeah, that's right. They cost us nothing and the price was paid completely by somebody else. But, but all the things that are free in our society aren't free. Mm-hmm. We're just paying for them every time we go to the register, every time we well, have and, and even to go further with that, that's why the gospel is so scandalous, because though mm-hmm. it is free Absolutely. to us, it wasn't free. It that's cost right. Jesus his life. Every it cost time. the Father Absolutely. his son, right? That's what people don't understand in socialist systems. They, they never ask that question. It's not mm-hmm. whether, but which. So, you know, you have right now Biden talking about uh, mm-hmm. all of the student debt that they're going to be uh, mm-hmm. forgiving in the United States. We've had Jamet Singh with the NDP mm-hmm. uh, talk about that for a long time in Canada. We just need to forgive all the debt and, and make university free. Well, it's not free, right? Those university professors still get paid, right? All it means is that you're forcing somebody else to do so. You're stealing from somebody, 
right? That That's the reality. If something is free to you, it's been stolen from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so the gospel is free to you because it cost the Father his son. It cost mm-hmm. Christ his life. It cost Jesus his blood. So nothing is ever free. Somebody always pays for it. And the scandal of the gospel is that Jesus paid the cost for you. So you come to this, and, you know, Aaron, we can probably swap <laughs> stories for a few minutes here in terms of, like, I remember when the pandemic first broke out, I would often go into Secord Trails and Leisure World, which are two retirement facilities in in Ingersoll, and I would do communion services and visit some of the elderly there and and pray with them and do prayer services and all that kind of stuff. And long before everything else was shut down, these, these facilities started to shut down. And so for years, and even now, I'm not allowed back in there because I'm I'm unvaccinated, and they still haven't released. You're, those you're not mandates. vaccinated. <laughs> not, <laughs> We're polio, way too polio. close. Yeah, we are way too close. Yeah, um, cedars of Lebanon. <laughs> um, but uh, so, but I would talk to you for the first several months. I would talk to some of the residents on the phone. That was the only thing that we were allowed to do. And I would talk to some of these seniors who I couldn't go in and do communion services with or anything. These shut-ins who don't have family visiting them or whatever. And they would say to me, like, I would rather die of COVID than loneliness. Like they, they were just mm-hmm. suffering in there. And this is what happens when you have people who are furthest away from the problem coming up with solutions to that problem. So you have bureaucrats in Ottawa coming up with policies for long-term care facilities in Ingersoll that is literally sucking the life out of its residents, Mm -hmm. and they're so removed from the problem that their solutions are doing more harm than good. You watch that sort of like probably a lot of your eyes were open to some of the poor management, we'll say, of the civil authorities over long term care while you were there during the pandemic. In this country, we have bureaucracies for bureaucracies. Yeah, that's right. It's so multifaceted. And the way they shift blame responsibility and even just the whole research, it's amazing how there's no real check and balance for the government anymore. For example, if residents have, you know, their Bill of Rights, they actually have a lot of power. But they're just always vetoed. And who's to challenge that, right? Because how do you unelect non-voted officials, right? Yeah, you think of right. Teresa Tam, for example, yeah, and, and I'm not upset that she makes half a million dollars a year. Thankfully, she's taxed half of that. So she doesn't make that kind of money. But notwithstanding, she is a dictator, one of many yep. in this country, by just sort of government fiat. And it's it's a wrong way. And yeah. Canadians just willingly... Unelected will, and uh, no way to get her out of that particular role. Yeah, and Canadians just willingly accept that as the de facto system in our country. And that's not how it goes. Every five years you go back, you'll realize that our government was not as involved as it used to be. And now it's just over the top. Yeah. And they've done a lot of sort of nefarious secret things along the way to expand itself to the point now where our general tax burden almost takes over seven months of your income to pay for all the various taxes. And people forget, it's like when you go to, you know, yeah. get a hotel, buy, uh, you know, lunch or fill up for gas, that's always been heavily taxed. And it's a long-term theft to create a system that just oppresses us. And Canadians don't even realize because the majority of people are not born of the spirit, they're not full of the Holy Spirit, they're full of, you know, man-centered, a, a secular humanist mindset, they don't realize that they're in complete bondage. Yeah. That that total depravity reaches to a point where they don't even realize that they're shackled, not only spiritually, but fiscally as well. Right. And so people that want to get ahead or you know make change, you're strapped. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think what COVID has done is it's woken some people up to how corrupt our institutions are. So obviously, I mean, the, the glaringly obvious one is in, in healthcare. I mean, we saw the absolute abuse and the, the reckless power of, mm-hmm. of health units and some of these, you know, just, as you said, completely unelected officials who are making decisions that completely radically altered our way of life. 
just ridiculous. And even from municipality to municipality, like it, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was nuts. What this is, is this is an ongoing trend of the civil authorities. And, and where this all comes down to is if there's no God above the civil authorities, then the civil authorities become God, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think it was Greg Bonson who, who famously said, anybody who claims to be an atheist and not believe in God is just somebody bidding for the position, right? They, they want the position of God. And he goes on to talk about Romans 1, there's no such thing as an atheist and that whole thing because they all suppress the truth they know. So when you have a, a government, a, a civil government that no longer acknowledges that they serve under mm-hmm. a god, which, it, you know, that, that's, that's been the slow shift in the Western world, even in these countries that were founded on Christian principles, they've slowly stopped acknowledging Christ as the king over Canada, the king over the United States. And the minute that happens, well, now you, you need a sovereign at the top, right? That's just how the world works. It's how life functions in God's world. That's how we're designed, right? We're designed to be filled with a higher power. That's exactly right. And so in the absence of the acknowledgement of God, now suddenly the civil authorities have to control every facet of our lives in order to maintain equality and justice because what we're asking for like is we're asking for all of the things that God like we want to be provided for we want to be cared for we want to be loved we want to be all protected we want to be safe we want to have certain guarantees and if we aren't relying on God for that then we have to rely on somebody else and so it's been the people who have been rejecting God who then look for a God figure to provide for and protect them that have elevated the civil authorities. And then they started believing their own hype and started swallowing up various responsibilities. And so throughout various times in Canadian history, we saw the the civil authorities take over education, take over healthcare, take over welfare, take over elderly care, and more and more institutions along the way. And all of these have become corrupted and all of them have become, quite frankly, enemies of the church. Right? So what's happening in our education system is disciples of the secular, humanistic, religious zealots that lead us are now making disciples in their image. Right, And so Christians who think that they're sending their children to a neutral territory, right? they think the public school system, oh, you know, math and English is just neutral. And it's taken Christians decades to figure out that it wasn't neutral. Sending your kids to a hear a different gospel for 40 hours a week was not able to combat the one hour where they drew pictures of Noah's Ark in Sunday school. And so... They our, probably just colored it. Yeah. And, and so our, our kids come back radicalized by the public system and the godlessness of the, of the public system. And so they were making disciples there. You look at the healthcare system that as the government took over healthcare, look at where we are now, legalized euthanasia, legalized abortion. We just had, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with uh, Garrett Van Dorland about, no, it wasn't with him. It was with... Um, Who's the guy from right now? Scott. Scott. Yeah, he was awesome. And uh, and we talked about the lady in Montreal who had an abortion at 38 weeks a couple of weeks Yuck. ago, right? So this is the state. This is the state of our healthcare. And uh, and then you can go through. We just talked about elderly care. I think we all would have stories of people that we love, people in our church community who are in in the hospital for very minor illnesses who are being actually suggested that they euthanize like it's it's crazy how quickly the people in the hospitals begin to turn on the elderly and say you could just do this it's incredible so that's the state of all the institutions that have been taken over by the civil authorities 
But when we talk about, okay, well, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? And I think this is where a lot of people don't recognize the history of the church and the history of some of these things. Yeah, I, w- I would say, um, what's the alternative? Like, and like, so I think there's a, a pertinent question to ask is how do we get here? And I think the simple answer is abandonment of responsibility. Exactly. So I think that starts fundamentally first, first and foremost in the home. Men abdicated their authority in the in the home to women and. When to children, to, to children, yeah. to whoever, to like make your like happy yeah. wife, uh, happy life, whatever the slogan you want to put to it. And as we've seen, I think this has been very prevalent over the last few years. Compromise begets compromise. How many people, how many churches, how many people do we talk to that said, "I'll compromise here, but then I won't compromise." Yeah. At the, and then that's that not point, my hill to die on. Exactly, yes. that hill comes very quickly, and they blow right by it, no problems, because we start to abdicate our own responsibility. And so, and, and, and cowardice this, begets cowardice, or abdication absolutely. begets right. So, the, and this is nothing new. We see this in scripture too. What like God through Moses frees the Israelites, and they start to get hungry. And what do they say? Well, it was better in slavery because they don't want the responsibility of having to provide for themselves to do all the things. They just want somebody to take care of the, to do all the work for them. And so like responsibility is what we have to take back. If we want to reverse this trend, it starts with Aaron, Nate, me, Dave, all the people in our church, all the men in our church taking responsibility. And that includes taking responsibility for our wife's sin, taking responsibility for our, our children's Education takes responsibility for every sphere. And once we start doing that at small incremental things, we take back the systems because we're no longer dependent on the government doing any of these things. Because right now we're we're kind of in a a weird trap phase because we want to, like I'm looking at us, we want to be responsible for everything in our lives. But there are certain things we, the systems are in place that we just, like I can't be responsible for my own health. You know what I mean? Like I I don't know what to do if somebody breaks a bone. But we can incrementally take some of these things back by just taking responsibility where we can. And so I would say, first and foremost, how do we start to win this war? We start to be men who take responsibility for what's going on around us. And how do we do that? We stop blaming. And I'm not saying we're doing this on this podcast, but I don't blame the government for taking the responsibility we gave them. I blame us for giving it to them, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So we simply stop giving them that authority. We talk about this all the time at the church, like, we have way too many people for the space we have to the point where, like, technically, I think we're probably in violation of some sort of fire codes or whatnot. I'm not going to say that specifically. We may be, though. <laughs> um, it's like one of those things, well, I don't, they don't have the authority to tell us what the fire code is, like, because we yeah. don't, I don't give them that responsibility to, to give us that, to, like, that uh, authority in our, in our building. I think we, Jesus was in violation of the Capernaum house fire codes when uh, <laughs> they had to lower a paraplegic through the roof in order to get access to him. So just throwing that out. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying it's like, we, we just have to remember where our spheres are and where we actually have authority. Yeah. And when somebody tries to overstep their mm-hmm. realm of responsibility, we just simply slap their hand and be like, that's not your responsibility. Right. Just like we would if a cop came to spank our kids. No, no, you serve and protect over here. Don't come yeah. to my home and tell me what to do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, there's there's a fine balance to keep between, you know, having a strong government that can, you know, withstand another country's power against you, right? Because yep. you need various protections. But then also, how is a family strong? How is the church strong? And I think a lot of uh, people today think that the church is just a joke. Right, it's just one yeah. of those, you know, food banks that are sort of on the f- sideline. We don't really need them, but now the government's going to take over that, you know, through the welfare system, through healthcare. And we're not against 
welfare, we're not against healthcare, right? I mean, Christians, you think of how in the book of Acts, they held all things in common. That's right. But that was a local commonality that they shared together That's right. uh, in Acts 2 and 4. And so they take these good Christian principles of sharing with the poor and helping the poor and then ruining a huge potential for an industrialized nation. You, know, you, you think of England, for example. I mean, they're so backwards today, uh, socially speaking, whereas you think of what happened to the great empire of England. Yeah. Right? Oh, no, that's just a racist empire. That's they're, they're just going to put that, put that off. It's like, no, there was something great that happened there because there was a greater fear of God back in the day. Of course, we had to fight through slavery, we had to fight through a lot of social ills, but you, you see that there was greatness because there was a lot of freedom to do things. Like yeah. Christopher Columbus was able to do what he did, right. and, and you know, Jacques Cartier, all these great guys, because they had a sense of freedom, a sense of you know, their purpose in life. It wasn't like, oh, just, just let the state do it. It's like, no, we, we're called to be men, to take action, to climb the Mount Everest as God puts us in, fr- in front of us, yep. and not to see the state as some f- form of pseudo-God. And that's yep. what a lot of Canadians see it as. Like yeah. When they see Health Canada, when they see these images, the fact that our government can even tell people what is truth. They have these TikTok ads now saying, don't fall down the rabbit hole of social media in terms of your health. Go to Canada.ca slash public health. They're teaching us how to think, yeah, how to they're live. They're discipling us. And they're discipling us, yeah. yeah. I guess that's maybe at the heart of what's been abdicated is that the state has taken the responsibility to disciple the nation. And when it's the church's responsibility to disciple the nation. But yeah, you make a good point. We're not against health care. We're not against welfare. We just don't think that that was a responsibility ever delegated to the civil mm-hmm. authorities. You can read the, the scriptures front to back, cover to cover, and it was never the state's responsibility. Even in ancient Israel, it was not the state's responsibility for welfare. Welfare was actually, so there were individual mm-hmm. so there this was this is part of self-government so those who owned vineyards and those who owned crops were actually commanded by the Lord not to cultivate the entirety of their fields, right? Leave the edges for the sojourner and for mm-hmm. the poor to come. We see this in the book of Ruth, where Ruth would come into Boaz's field and take the gleanings, right? Yes, those were laws of the land, but those were God's law, right? That was upheld by the priesthood, right? The church, the people of God. And so it's not like the civil authorities, or it's not like David gathered up some bureaucrats to go to Boaz's field. I, I get that he was the, the grandson, but but um, it's not like it's not like the uh, the kings and the judges of those days put a, a bureaucracy team together to go out into the fields and get all those gleanings and count it all up and redistribute it to the poor equitably. No, what did God's law say? So Ruth, who was poor and taking care of her mother-in-law, would go out and she worked hard in order to glean what was left over because Boaz was a generous man. And she goes and gets enough to take care of her and her mother-in-law. And so there was still some dignity in the work that she would do. And she was actually called righteous for it. She was praised for her industry and her hard work. And yet we've created a system now where there's no dignity in collecting welfare checks from the civil authority because there's no community, there's no responsibility. And so there's a perfect example of something that God meant to be very good, have a system that would take care of its poor, but that system wasn't placed on those who didn't have compassion for it, right? So this is part of the problem, is whether you're talking about the government hiring teachers to teach, you know, healthcare workers to distribute healthcare, 
you know, welfare agents to distribute welfare. These are not the individuals that God has delegated that responsibility to. And so you have people who aspire for those offices without the proper character to carry those offices out properly. There's a reason God delegated some of these things to families, to the church, to individuals, because I think you lose something. And I mentioned this earlier, the further you get away from a problem. So now what you have is you have bureaucrats in Ottawa who are making decisions about welfare. And then you have a bloated government system that pays all of these various workers and all of these different places to redistribute the wealth that the government has stolen from the rich. It doesn't work because they lack the character. You're talking, Aaron, about the indwelling of the spirit. There's a reason the church was actually called upon to be the place that oversaw welfare distribution, right? I'm looking at Acts chapter 6, what happened when the Hellenistic widows were overlooked in the daily distributions, right? The elders, the apostles, came and appointed men right? Who were Hellenists. It lists all the names. So it says, you know, these are some men who will have compassion on the Hellenistic widows who will come and see to it that they're well cared for, right? Because the church is well equipped to have the character that goes along with the necessary skills in order to carry out welfare and healthcare and all of these various things. And there's a reason that all of the hospitals are named after saints. It's because they were all started by the church. Yeah. And it's interesting when the government, like we notice how they have a progressive tax system. They, they take from people who work hard and yep. give it into the uh, welfare system. But welfare is interesting because in our system, as we redistribute income massively, you know, obviously through the provinces and to individuals who are of a lower no income bracket, what's happened is that we're wrecking, like Milton Friedman would say, market static. You're pushing a false economic system. And so now when people go to buy bread, butter, milk, eggs, they're at false prices because of the system. So you're actually keeping the poor people poor because of that system. There's no chance to actually upgrade yourself in a welfare state. You're you're kept down low. And it's interesting how, I was thinking of uh, earlier Tommy Douglas, who was the founder of the uh, former NDP, the CCF in Saskatchewan. He was a Baptist minister. So he was convoluting Christian theological doctrine, if you will, to help the poor, but then thinking that has to be now a burgeoning state dragon. You know, they were socialists. Actually, that was the name, you know, the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation of Saskatchewan. And when you look at their images, when you look at what they have, it's very Soviet style. Like yeah. you could tell these men loved what was going on in the Soviet Union because there was something great after World War II when the Soviets defeated you know, yep. the Nazis in the East. And, uh, you know, they had some intimidation there. But what we see is a love for the state. And they even have a picture of the family kind of walking towards the horizon. And then you have the Canadian flag with the CCF logo over it. And of course, changes to NDP because that's way too communist looking, right? (laughs) And that's probably why they discovered that. But that was sort of the vision that the state can be leaders yeah, of the family. Can be daddy. And it's, it's, it's actually demonic, right? Because now you're, you're stealing from hardworking people. Yep. And even if you take a dollar from a person, that's theft. Yep. And they, they break God's law to make their own law under a banner of a theological framework. So our government's very religious. It's amazing how they it talk is. about, yeah. you know, uh, given the poor, they don't even want to use the term welfare. They see that as a pejorative term, but there is shame in taking from someone and giving to someone else. Yeah. Right, there's a shame to that, and, and we're yeah. not against taxation, we're not against any of that. You need to, you know, fund the state for a military, for border control, for other uh, technology and stuff. But come on, like, you can't take from hardworking people yeah. and then shove it to people that are not willing to work. And one more thing, you wouldn't believe this I had the strangest opportunity in God's providence to work as a caseworker for Ontario Works in yeah, the city of Toronto. And you know, I'm a very slow learner, so God has to take me through the mud <laughs> to teach me things. And 
as a caseworker, I was there for eight months. It was the worst job of my life. It was paid very well. I was overpaid. And the amount of fraud that happens in a welfare system. I recall seeing someone dropping off their monthly welfare balance sheet, basically what they've earned or what they've not earned, which continues their qualification for the funds. And he stopped by in a $50,000 brand new Toyota 4Runner. I'll never forget a white one. Pulling up right at, you know, Church and Wellesley. And I'm like, oh my goodness, he's on welfare and he's driving a V. I'm taking the, the, the bus. I'm taking the train to do my government job. This guy's coming on. And so, I, of course, I, was, uh, I worked with the fraud unit a little bit there. And there was not enough resources to combat the fraud. You could almost say there was like a 25% fraud that we knew of. How do you deal with it? Right. Right? Because it's a system that's flawed from the get-go. Yeah, they're all enforcing the Reopen Ontario Act. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're dropping off uh, a summons for guys like me. I've said often that sometimes your skills can elevate you to a place where your character can't sustain you. And I think what happens with the government is that their false ideology, Mm -hmm. right, their self-inflated importance has elevated them to a status where character can't sustain them, which is why we just that 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 sounds really good. I like that line. Uh, Well, I I often say it just in terms of like Christian ministry stuff. Like sometimes we elevate people, we promote people because of their skills to a place where their character can't sustain them. Right. And so I think this happens oftentimes even in in government positions because they'll, they'll take something, they'll take something on, but the government doesn't have like, there's no... There's a reason that God delegated these things to the church where the, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit uh, guides the leaders. And I, I'm not saying there's not corruption in churches. Of course there is. That's why churches are biblically supposed to be run by a plurality of elders because the idea is even when one falls into sin, there are other men there to be accountable to remove that person from their particular office. <laughs> but when you have a system that's built upon such corruption as the civil government is, there's no character balance, right? What becomes right is what the government says is right. And we've seen ideological shifts in the government because there's no objective standard. What, whatever is right is just whatever keeps them in power and whatever keeps them, them going, which is why mm-hmm. every area, their religious views on the sanctity of life gets pushed into healthcare. Their mm-hmm. morality and ethics concerning sexuality gets pushed into education. And so everybody, as you said, is religious. And can I add to that? Please. Uh, and also with the welfare state, the government is creating a high degree of inequality amongst people. For example, if you play the system right, first of all, you don't have to work, but if you play the system right, you are ahead of your peers because if you get, let's say, for example, government housing where you're not paying anything per month, they are going to pay for your basic needs and your shelter allowance plus the housing system as well. And then you have net cash from the government plus the benefits, all the other things that come with it, including the healthcare and education. You're basically creating a subclass of citizens that don't have to work at all, but they're completely off the state's dole, so to speak. Well, and, and this is where, and I'm sure we'll get into trouble for stuff like this because our current climate hates generalizations and stereotypes, but there is a correlation between low-income households and crime, right? Drug use, substance abuse, right? Domestic violence. The, I mean, the, these correlations do exist. And I think part of the reason for that is because Chris and I say this all the time, especially in shepherding young people. We always say, like, go and work hard. The harder you work, the less trouble you get into, mm. right? Like, the, the, the reality is, is, like, we were just talking about this the other day when we were talking about David, right? So David sees Bathsheba up on the roof and gets into all kinds of trouble. David should have been at war. Yeah, the sin there was an outpouring of the, of the original sin that he committed, which was idleness. He should have been right. at war with his men. 
nobody finds a way to get into trouble if they're dead tired after a long day's work. That's and right. there's like there's a beauty God told us to work six days. Yeah, he would have been asleep. Rest one. <laughs> he should have um, been asleep. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like, honestly, you should be too tired to be doing like yeah. to be looking outside of his yeah. wide. It's the idleness, and like our society is built on idleness. That's right. Or even our very government. Like we were joking this morning. Like I took a course in the summer to get my restricted firearms license, and I still haven't got it in the mail, simply because the government takes forever to do everything because they're idle. Yeah, like, and it's absolutely. like, and so of course they're going to nitpick and get into all these other places that they're out of trouble because they're idle all the time. And we see all these people who are living on the dole, so to speak. Yeah. Get into trouble, low income, drugs, all this stuff. Why? Because they're bored. They have all this energy with no mm-hmm. outcome. How many times have we have we made this comment about your young one? He's got so much energy that he needs an outlet for that masculine 100%. energy that yeah. he has. And so, like, why does he play sports? Also, it's like because boys need an outlet. So, what happens when that boy is now twenty years old? Not your kid, but a different, like other boys. Yep, are 20, 25 years old. And they still have all that masculine energy, but they don't work. Mm. So they can't pour it into a good thing. They probably don't believe in the sanctity of marriage. So they're just, you know, yep. fine and whoever. But they also don't work and they don't have, so they have all this time in the world. And like, you know, they can play video games all day or they can get to, into drugs. They can get all these, and it le- leads to violence. It mm-hmm. leads to all these, and it's just like. And, and part of the reason it does as well is because what none of this factors in and all of the all, anybody who's listening to us and getting upset with this sort of thing and thinking that maybe we're being too generalized or too stereotypical or whatever, like th- the reality is, is that we believe that God created the world in a particular way. And, and because he created it in that way, God's law is absolute. Right. So when Paul comes along and tells those those who don't work ought not to eat. Like, Paul's not being callous there. Mm. He's telling people that people ought to work hard. He's not saying let them starve. He's saying they won't starve. Just like, like make them work a little bit for themselves. And the idea there, I think, at least part of it, is that there's dignity in working at something. And I think that the other thing that leads to some of this violence and this sin is the displaced despondency and despair that comes with not having your life amount to anything. When you are not working towards something, building something, accomplishing something, there is a pain and there is ennui in the soul that doesn't get healed. And they might not know what's going on that makes them so violent and enraged and short-tempered, but that's part of it because God created the world in a way that men are to be empire builders. They're made to take dominion. And if they're not taking dominion, then they're either going to do it in a video game or they're going to take out their frustration because their life is not amounting to anything to those around them. You know, what's interesting about our socialist system is that they rob us of poverty. That interesting. They rob us of poverty, meaning they do not allow men to fall into poverty and financial ruin as a consequence Mm. of their bad actions. So we have to take, obviously, the caveat aside because there's people that are disabled and injured and they need assistance, right, from various means. But when you rob a society of the ability to get poor, you're robbing entrepreneurship, you're robbing, like you're talking about the the masculine drive to achieve things. If you give someone just enough, I mean, they're they're the passive, they they look passive, but they really are building up an anger inside because they can't do something greater because if they do, then they're off the system. 
right? The moment you start making something on welfare, you're now, they're taking back from your welfare check. Yeah. So it's actually a really, it's a ploy system. And people don't realize it. They need a lot of wisdom and God's grace yeah. to come out of that. And it's, uh, you know, multi-generational in some cases. Absolutely. And when you just think about even just like body chemistry and stuff like that, you have, a, so you now have a man who's not accomplishing anything, who is given money and is actually de-incentivized to go and build and everything because, as you say, anything that he makes working with his own hands will actually take away from what he's earning from the government. And so when you have that, and then what does the government give ample of, you know, pornography, you know what I mean? Like there's, so now you have outlets where men can get dopamine shots and all this kind of stuff just through pornography. And so I just say that to say like the whole system, whether intentional or not, Mm -hmm. right. And I'm not saying that we have these mastermind overlords who are keeping all men's testosterone level down so that they're docile. I'm not well, saying that. would be the devil, but, right? But what I am saying is, yes, is yeah. that there are principalities and powers of darkness that know that God created testosterone for a reason, mm-hmm. and part of it is for taking dominion and for culture building and yeah. civilization building. And so uh, the enemy who has made pornography and welfare and idleness so prevalent in our culture, they've actually, and, and there's a reason that year over year, testosterone levels are dropping mm. in men across the Western world. Mm. It's because men aren't doing anything. They're mm. just, they're sitting back idly watching pornography in their basements. Yeah, I think these, wow. I think you said two things that, that are very prevalent. Uh, one, I'll just comment, I'm reading Jonathan Edwards' biography right now. Mm. And uh, so he's in the 17th. about a man with testosterone. Well, I mean, I mean, honestly, honestly, one of the convicting things would be like, I don't know if I would survive in his culture. And it was just like, I was just mean like, and I, I'm, I would say I'm a fairly manly dude, but I'm like, just their, like the He's way they had to do life. I was just like, like they were men. We often like go back to like gladiator times and be like, those guys were men. But like 200 years ago, I think those guys would wipe the floor with us. Yeah. And it's like to the point High where like. High grip strength. Those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, like, it's just funny. And the second, the second thing I. I Careful actually, with gladiators. A lot of them, you know, Spartans were. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's you got to be careful back, yeah. of the the gladiators that flip on. Yeah, both Romans sides. and Greeks had a lot of uh, <laughs> loose loose character there. Uh, this is why we love you. Um, but no, I think I think you said something very profound. We we have this like weird, and we do this in the church all the time. We we're often we'll say things like God is sovereign and He uses us as the means to accomplish His will. Yeah, but. We don't like to apply the same thing to Satan. He isn't sovereign, but he does still use the principalities and the governments to accomplish his will. Mm, And so, like, I'm not saying our government is a Satanist organization, but it's definitely being used for that. You know what I mean? And because everything that isn't of us is against us. You know what I mean? So, like, everything that isn't the Holy Spirit driven is the spirit of Antichrist. That's just the way way this works because there's only two states. So, like... Whether they're knowing participants or not knowing participants, they are literally being used to further the agenda that leads people away from Christ. So it is in their best interests if men grow up without chests, right. if we grow up yeah. like so castrated. What would, what would you say to someone then who is, let's say, on social assistance or you know is a recipient of some sort of benefit and they're they're trapped because at the moment they you know they work a minimum wage job, it could prevent them from getting their stability checks and all that. So what would you say to someone who's sort of trapped? Because we have a socialist trap system yep. and it is demonic, right? Because there's no incentive now to get off it. It's the same thing with our healthcare, right? There's no incentive to change it because it's just there now. Yep. So what would you say to people that are stuck? It's like, well, I, I'd like to get a job, but it's not enough to cover my expenses and I'm afraid to move forward and I, I need this, this and that. I think 
we should leave that question as a cliffhanger because <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're, we're at like almost, you know, we're, we're over 45 minutes here. And so why don't we do a follow-up episode to this and we'll talk about how, because this, this episode really became a sort of like what grinds our gears about the way the civil authority has ruined everything. But we want to be people who bring solutions as well. And I do think that we're starting to think through these things at the church enough that we can have this conversation because I think that we should talk practically to the individual that's caught in the system, as you're saying, Aaron. And then I also think we should talk at high level because the idea of taking back healthcare, welfare, elderly care, education is a daunting thing for an individual Christian to think through. But I think that's why God gave us the church and community. So let's talk through that next time. Is that cool? Amazing. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Cedars, for coming out here, man. <laughs> you gotta come out. You gotta come out again into the next episode. Amazing. Dude. Thank you. Peace, guys.